This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, I'm Alicia. Thank you for joining us for today's tale of marital misadventure. And ah, uh, I think you're going to love it. He's such a tramp. Roger Moore, he's the most lovable cad that has ever been. We've talked about Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. We talked about George Lazenby. We've talked right. about a few other James Bonds. Right, the Bond boys. Within our trashy journey, Roger Moore has to be my favorite. I think he's going to be your favorite, too, by the time we're done with this story. Let's go, go, go. Oh, I am so dreamy-eyed over Roger Moore. Okay, let's get to it. Roger Moore was really known for his humble and kind nature. He was one of the few actors who was really completely comfortable with straight-up honesty about what he saw as his own shortcomings. His self-depreciation was one of his best-known character traits. Roger Moore once said, My James Bond wasn't any different to my saint or my persuaders or anything else I've done. I've just made everything that I play look like me and sound like me. (laughs) If it was truly that simple for him... He was one of the smartest actors around because looking and sounding like himself made him one of the most admired performers of his generation and the favorite James Bond for many people. He may have had a somewhat limited range of acting skills, but he definitely knew what worked for him. Roger Moore would often joke that he, quote, had just three expressions, left eyebrow up, right eyebrow up, and both eyebrows up at the same time, unquote. (laughs) It could have been that Roger Moore was just very aware of what roles he was good at and didn't try to become something else. He seems to have understood the benefits of really identifying one's own strengths and was confident enough not to wish for different roles. The part of charming debonair international playboy was his expertise and he played it to perfection in the saint and the persuaders and of course the james bond movies when moore leaves the small screen to play 007 on the big screen he doesn't try to imitate sean connery's portrayal of james bond roger moore's james bond was an entirely different character Both actors were considered to be among the most handsome actors of their time, but each of them had a very different type of appeal. Sean Connery, right? He's sultry. He's smooth talking. He's a little dark. Roger Moore embraces the comedy of the movies and always leads with a sardonic wit and, yes, the raised eyebrow in whatever formation it takes. Both Sean and Roger had memorable and alluring voices. Connery's Scottish brogue was well known for making many, many women weak in the knees, <laughs> but Roger Moore's voice was also full of appeal and charisma. It was once described as a, I love this, 
a deep V8 purr, like a sports car running on honey for fuel. Wow. Mm-hmm. But this is Trashy Divorces, and mm-hmm. we're not here for a James Bond, Roger Moore love fest, although we're going to get into that. <laughs> Roger Moore does have many adventures off the screen as well. From almost dying as a young child to living out his final days in luxury in Switzerland, Roger Moore experiences the full scope of what life had to offer. Romance was a little bit of a mixed bag for him. He certainly had his share of turbulent and erratic relationships. Roger Moore has a bad habit. We see this sometimes of starting a new romance before the Mm. last one was officially over. We see that a lot. It's messy. It's a little complicated. Roger Moore, for our purposes today, was divorced three times, but did finally find lasting love and happiness with his fourth wife. Whatever account you read of Roger Moore, it seems everyone agrees that he was the consummate gentleman. Always kind, generous, warm, and funny. But even the loveliest people can have some trashy stories. And that is why he's a tramp. Roger Moore, he's like the most lovable cad that there ever was. Okay, Roger George Moore was born October 14th, 1927. In southwest London, he's a Libra man. Roger is the only child of his parents. They're named Lily and George. George was a policeman, and the family lived in a two-bedroom flat in a working-class neighborhood. As a child, though, Roger was very sickly, and he almost died when he was five years old. At one point, his fever was so high, it was, uh, doctors tell his parents, I'll be back in the morning to sign the death certificate. Oh, wow. Which, as a parent, doesn't make for a real great night. No. Even after Roger miraculously recovers from the illness, he's not a strong child. And his parents, Lily and George, because they really all be back to sign the death certificate, they're terrified of losing him. So as the only child, being a little bit physically not as healthy and under that threat of... We almost don't have a kid. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad become really, really protective of Roger. You can imagine. Yeah. Thought you were going to say they moved to Spain for better weather. No. What happens, though, is Roger's father, George, in addition to being a policeman, you can't do that all day long, walking the beat, dad freelances as an amateur actor, and he's really active in the local theater. Dad goes in and makes sets and directs plays as well. So Roger and his mom would go to Mm. see Dad's plays, and this will spark a very early interest in the craft for young Roger. The bug bites early. When he is 11 years old, Roger was evacuated, along with most of the children in London, when World War II began. He will not stay very long in his first location because his father will send his mother to Chester to live with the family of a fellow policeman. Once mom was settled in there, Roger's dad came to get Roger and takes Roger to stay with mom. In 1940, Roger and his mom do return to London because the previous threats of bombing had seemed to be over. 
but then came Dunkirk. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't yeah. think that was a great calculation. Not a great calculation. Dunkirk happens, and Roger remembers standing alongside railroad tracks, watching the injured troops being transported into London. The summer of 1940 was one of Roger's best summers up to that point, but it was only the calm before the storm because in September of 1940, the blitz begins. When it becomes clear that these bombings were going to last for some time, Roger and his mom Lily were again evacuated to a safer place. When Roger's 15, he will leave formal schooling to begin working for the PPP, Who's down with PPP? This is the Publicity Picture Productions. Okay. And then joins the ACT. This is the Association of Cinematograph Technicians. Sounds old school. Roger's training includes animating wartime propaganda films. So one of his early tasks was to take the cans of film to an army office in Mayfair. Coincidentally, spider webs. I'm getting chills. The technical advisor at that office was a lieutenant colonel named David Niven. (sighs) I just love it so much. Roger Moore remembers being so impressed by the dashing and handsome man in his uniform. Roger Moore and David Niven later become close friends. Now, David Niven doesn't ever remember meeting Roger Moore, (laughs) who was playing an insignificant role compared to David Niven, senior officer. Right. He was the gopher or whatever, dropping off the cans of film. Yeah. But Roger Moore certainly remembered the impression that David Niven made on him. Let's go ahead and get to marriage number one. Roger Moore first fell in love while at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Hey, Mm. Rada. Roger falls in love with a student six years older than him. Her name is Lucy Woodward. But Lucy Woodward is better known as Dorn Van Stein. This is her stage name. Roger's 17 when he meets and falls in love with Dorn. Now, Dorn is not only older than Roger Moore. She had also previously been married. She has a young son. But both studying at RADA, they share a desire to act and... Dorn had already appeared in several films and is also a professional ice skater. (laughs) Multi-talented. Dorn Van Stein. She's amazing. As young love often does, this romance moved very quickly. The two will marry in 1946 at Wandsworth Town Hall. Moore is 18 and on leave from his military service that all 18-year-old English boys were required to do. Because acting was not quite yet paying the bills, Dorn will tour as an ice skater for extra money, and Roger Moore starts modeling. Now, the relationship between Roger and Dorn, you could say, was quite fiery. The two seemed to argue a great deal. Many, many years later, Dorn's son found a stash of letters between his mother and Roger Moore. Several of them actually give accounts of their tumultuous relationship. Moore also talks about it during some interviews. And although many couples argue, it seems that Dorn was verbally and even somewhat physically abusive to Roger Moore as well. Well, that's not good. But on the other hand, there are many letters of love and affection, most especially early within their relationship. 
in a letter from 1948 from a British army base in Germany, Roger Wrightstorn. Dear heart, I love you more than anything else in the world, but how I would like to spank your wonderfully dimply goose flesh bottom. <laughs> Ours will be a perfect and terribly happy marriage as long as we are together. Mr. and Mrs. Roger Moore, I think it sounds wonderful, don't you? Oh, love letters. Now, Dorn, though, not too taken by that. She's pretty upset that Roger has not yet gotten his big break in acting. And so Dorn would ridicule Roger, saying things, pretty scathing things, like you'll never be a star. Your face is too weak and your jaw's too big and your mouth is too small. Not kind of what you want to hear. No, that doesn't sound like a great foundation for any relationship. On the physical side, Roger claimed that his first wife left scars on him and actually punched a doctor who was treating his slashed hand after a fight they had. Dorn's son, remember, from that first marriage, his name is Sean Van Stein. He remembers his mother's volatile behavior toward Roger and said that on one occasion, Roger Moore was only wearing his underpants when his mother dumped all of Roger's clothes in the bath and turned on the taps and then ordered him out of the house. So Roger Moore had to put on wet clothes before leaving. Sean Van Stein tells the Daily Mail that his, quote, mother dumped the contents of a teapot on Moore's head before throwing it at him. She then picked up a whip and used it to strike Sean across the legs. It was Roger, he says, who rescued him. He picked me up and carried me outside away from her. We went for a walk together until she calmed down. Pro tip, if your spouse is frequently out of control and violent, maybe don't keep a whip at home. Doesn't seem like the smartest it's, idea. I, it's just lying around. Roger Moore's former stepson really does fondly remember spending time with Roger Moore when he was between the ages of three years old to about 10 years old. Sean Van Stein describes Roger Moore as gentle and patient, telling the Daily Mail, in many ways, he was more of a parent to me than my mother. He was the only father I ever knew. I remember him taking me to the fun fair at Battersea Park in South London and to sail my toy yacht on Clapham Common Ponds. He was kind and loving and funny. In Roger Moore's 2008 autobiography called, I love this, My Word is My Bond, <laughs> Roger will blame the downfall of the marriage with Dorn on too much time spent apart, as well as her lack of faith in his career. In an interview with Piers Morgan in 2012, Roger Moore said of his first wife, She would scratch me. She threw a pot of tea at me once. I'd been sunbathing in the garden. I came up and I'd taken off my pants, and I gave her some smart aleck answer, and this teapot came hurling at me. I said, Right, that's it. I'm leaving. But back then, a teapot across the kitchen was not enough to be granted a divorce. It all does work out because after seven years of this tumultuous relationship, Moore, messy, it's complicated, had fallen in love with another woman. 
And as it turns out, infidelity was enough for them to be granted a divorce in 1953. Handy. So she can beat the crap out of him. And that... Fine. Make it work, mm-hmm. guys. But yeah, all right. He Divorce gets a, laws are a thing. You got to pay attention. You got to pay a girlfriend, attention. and that is that. Okay. Sean Dorn's son goes on to tell the Daily Mail that Roger Moore kept in touch with him after Moore splits from his mother. Good. And that continues until Roger Moore's death. In 2008, Roger Moore sent Sean a signed copy of his autobiography with the inscription. I think you have a better book in you, Sean. In 2010, Roger Moore emailed Sean after the death of Dorn Van Stein, and he'll write in part, She was an extraordinary lady and certainly enriched my life during our few short years together. One thing I know is that she must have been tremendously proud of you and your success. He's careful never to say anything negative to Sean about his mother. He alludes to their really acrimonious relationship in an email that Moore sends Sean just a few months before his death, telling that stepson from so long ago, we were very young. I guess that wisdom comes with age. After the divorce, Dorn Van Stein will marry an Israeli army officer and converts to Judaism. She will leave Sean with her own parents while she moves to Israel with her new husband. Dorn will divorce that man and marry for a fourth time after moving to Washington, D.C. And that's wife number one. But Roger Moore doesn't waste too much time in moving on either. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And we're going to come back with Moore's second marriage to Dorothy. Holy catch. You're not even ready for this one. We'll see you on the flip. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, Alicia, (laughs) wife number two. Okay, so obviously, right, Roger's marriage to Dorn Van Stein hadn't been going well for quite some time between the wet clothes and the teapots Mm -hmm. and the whip. And to be fair, he's a tramp. Roger Moore is a handsome young actor, and he's going to take advantage of London's swinging social scene. He goes to pubs. He attends parties. And it was at a party that Roger would not only get his acting break, but also meet his second wife. Dorothy Squires was a famous singer who lived in a mansion in Kent, and Dorothy was known to throw some pretty wild parties. Moore calls her Dot. Dot was very well connected, and she had a lot of show business friends. Here comes Roger Moore rolling up in Kent, and Dot is quickly taken with the 24-year-old, handsome, and charming aspiring actor. And it seems that Roger had a thing for older women, as Dorothy Squires was 13 years older than him. It doesn't take long for these two to begin having an affair, and Dorothy, Dot, promises to help launch Roger's career. So together our new lovers travel, 
on the Queen Mary to New York, but since Roger Moore's divorce was not final yet, Moore had to pretend to be Dot's manager. But hey, once in New York, Dot was able to quickly get Roger some parts on television Hmm. and roles on Broadway. Great, okay. According to Roger Moore's autobiography, he doesn't begin his affair with Dot Squires until he had split from Dorn Van Stein and only allowed himself, of course, to be accused of adultery in order to obtain a divorce. Okay. Accounts do vary on this. Oh, I bet they do. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems that the evidence points toward Moore and Squires being involved before he was technically separated from Dorn. After getting his divorce, though, Moore and Squires decided that it would be better for each of their careers if they moved to New York. It was there that the two married on July the 6th, 1953, just two months after his divorce was final. Yeah, I bet accounts differ on that timeline. But hey, things are looking up for Roger Moore. He finds work performing in television plays. These were plays that aired live. Dominic Dunn was doing this. Like, this is in the 50s where television is breaking through and you rehearse a whole thing. It's like going to the theater. It's just the theater on your television. I love the spider webs here. In one episode titled The Remarkable Jenny Jerome, previous Trashy Divorces Profile, mm-hmm. Roger Moore plays Randolph Churchill. Yeah, I'm sure that British accent opened a lot of doors for him. Didn't hurt. Roger also performs in theater productions, and Dorothy at the time is traveling back and forth between New York and London, but soon enough, Roger Moore is spotted by an MGM scout and put under contract with the studio. And finally, Roger Moore was headed to Hollywood. (laughs) Now, his first film, I don't know how you get these kind of breaks, Roger's first film was The Last Time I Saw Paris, starring Walter Pidgeon, Ava Gabor, Donna Reed, Van Johnson, and Elizabeth Taylor. Wow. The Last Time I Saw Paris was an adaptation of the F. Scott Fitzgerald short story, Babylon Revisited. F. Scott Fitzgerald, previous Mm -hmm. profile, should have been a divorce. One day while shooting on The Last Time I Saw Paris... Roger Moore has coffee with Ava Gabor in the studio cafeteria. So before the, before they finished, Bill Shanks, he's the assistant director, comes to get Ava because she was needed for the next shot. Roger Moore describes the situation this way. Oh, darling, said Ava, pulling off a huge diamond ring from her finger. I wasn't wearing this in the last shot, I'll have to take it off for continuity. Look after it for me. She gives the ring to Bill, who puts it in his trouser pocket. As he was doing so, he asks if it was very valuable. Ava replies, Oh, it's worth about $40,000. Oh my God, says Bill. Someone will cut my leg off for this. (laughs) Ava Gabor says, Don't worry, darling. It was only two nights hard work. (laughs) Roger Moore goes on to comment that, quote, that was the difference between Ava and her sister. I'm sure Zsa Zsa would have said it was only one night's hard work. (laughs) (laughs) 
Jaja, previous trashy divorce as well. This story really does have everything. So once Roger is steadily getting parts in Hollywood, Dot becomes mm, a little very jealous of the attention her much younger and very handsome husband was getting from all of these young starlets, right? Roger Moore is so boyishly handsome that he looks younger than he was or is like at any given time. And Dorothy Dot actually looked a little older than she was. It doesn't help at the time. There are many cruel jokes about Dot and the age difference between herself and Roger Moore. A common one on the Hollywood sets was, don't forget to invite Roger Moore and his mother. Okay, that's not great. Not great. Not great. So her jealousy often worked Dot up into rages. And naturally conflict avoidant, Roger would do whatever he could to ignore Dot's screaming and taunting. He actually ends up, are you ready for this, learning how to play the guitar. So whenever she tried to start an argument, he'd play the guitar to drown out her yelling. That is some serious conflict avoidance, yes. Conflict avoidance. It doesn't work out great for the guitar, though. One night Dot gets so frustrated with his guitar tactic that she grabs the guitar and smashes it through his head one night. Through his head? Yeah, like just the guitar smashes smashes it on on his his... head. Yeah. That sounds bad for the guitar and his head. (laughs) After the last time I saw Paris, Roger Moore continued to appear in films under his MGM contract, but he wasn't very happy with the roles he was getting there. After his 1956 film Diana with... Lana Turner, previous Trashy Divorces alum, Diana bombed. Roger Moore asked to be released from his contract. And at this point, his career really does start looking up. He will have his first success in the television series Ivanhoe in 1958, 1959. Roger follows that up with the Alaskans. And then he replaced James Garner in Maverick. While working on the Alaskans, Roger, because he's married to Dot, who Mm -hmm. smashes guitars over his head, begins an affair with his leading lady, Dorothy Provine. Wait, so he's got a wife and girlfriend both named Dorothy? Correct. Okay. Wife is going to be Dot. Mm -hmm. Dorothy is going to be the girlfriend. Okay. Okay. Just want to keep them separated. There are a lot of rumors about this tryst, and Dot, Roger's wife, refuses to believe them for a while. Dot finally knows that the rumors are true when Roger calls out Dorothy in Mm. his sleep. Okay. Because he never calls her Dorothy. She's always Dot. So when Dot confronts Roger at breakfast, Roger's like, of course, I was dreaming of you. And she doesn't believe him saying, you always call me Dot. You're poking her. Dot doesn't take this well. She's pretty upset about Roger's infidelity. Dot will become depressed and lose a significant amount of weight. When a friend tells her how great she looks, what diet are you on? Dot replies, the my husband is having an affair diet. Not great. In 1961, Roger Moore shot the film Romulus and the Sabines. 
During this shoot, he would fall in love with his third wife. But are you ready for this? It will be another seven years before he and Dot divorce. Hmm. Their marriage had already begun to sour. And then Roger Moore meets the beautiful Italian actress, Louisa Matali. He falls hard for Louisa and wants to leave Dot to marry Louisa. But Dot Squires was not going to let him do that without a fight. Roger Moore may have been willing to put up more of a fight sooner, except while on location for Romulus and the Sabines, Moore gets a call about a television show and decides to go see what that's all about. That television show would change his life. It will also postpone his second divorce. So Roger Moore becomes a household name when he is cast as Simon Templar in the television series The Saint. The Saint runs from 1962 to 1969, during which time Roger Moore becomes a superstar. As Simon Templar, Moore becomes well-known for his facial expressions and that raised eyebrow that he will go on to frequently use in the future in all those James Bond movies. Many a James Bond enthusiast liken Roger Moore's time on The Saint to Pierce Brosnan's time on Remington Steel. Do you remember that show? That's where Pierce Brosnan kind of personified that character that made him a natural choice to play James Bond. In both of those series, The Saint and Remington Steel, the handsome star was put into many scenarios where they were super dapper in a suit or a tuxedo. They're charming. They're heroic. These long-lasting roles were like a years-long audition reel for both actors to become future James Bonds. So we're going to stop here, take another quick break, because we are going to get Dot and Roger divorced eventually, and Louisa comes into the picture. We're going to come back for the next round of Trashy, because it does get trashy. Okay, so Roger had left Dot for Louisa, but Dot still refuses to give Roger a divorce. So he comes, Roger does, to their house one night to collect his stuff, and Dot refuses to let him in. Instead, Dot goes upstairs and packs his suitcase and then hurls it at him from the window, yelling, fuck off and don't come back. (laughs) Meanwhile, the affair between Roger and Louisa was causing issues for Louisa as well. She recalled many years later. I met Roger in 1961 when we were filming together in Rome and Yugoslavia. It was after his Hollywood period. He had been unhappy under contract to MGM, and quite simply, we fell in love. I remember how I used to argue with my parents. You know how Italians are. If you compromise their daughter without marriage, they are ready to kill. I convinced my family not to harm Roger. I told them he will marry me one day. Be patient. Roger's got it coming on all sides, right? So the suitcase that Dot throws hits Roger Moore in the back of the neck. Later, Dot regrets doing that, saying, I should have fought for him. It was like giving a kid sweets and then hitting him over the head for eating them. I knew Roger. I'd lived with him for nine years. The one thing I should have never done was pack his bags. I feel like the domestic violence was also a 
bad idea, but you'd like to think. Mm -hmm. Now, I think this may be a trashy divorce's first. Uh, Tell me if we've ever seen this before. So Dot sues Roger Moore for, you ready? Restoration of conjugal rights. (laughs) Takes them to court for restoration of conjugal rights. She told him not to come back. (laughs) Just did what she said. Here, though, the court rules in Dot's favor and orders Roger Moore to return to her in 28 days. It doesn't really matter in any practical sense because Roger Moore ignores the court's order. They can't. The court can't force him to have sex with her. Yeah. But still, Dot refuses to grant him a divorce. I don't think it means conjugal in that technical sense. I think it just means holy cats. Okay. Dot will not divorce him. Not only that, she becomes even more violent. One night, Dot attacks Roger and Louisa. How does this happen? Dot climbs up the wall of the house they're in and breaks in their bedroom window. Quote, Dorothy was not happy. She threw a brick through my window. She reached through the glass and grabbed my shirt and she cut her arms doing it. The police came and they said, Madam, you're bleeding. And she said, it's my heart that's bleeding. Oh, my God. Roger writes about the painful and long breakup with Dot in his autobiography. (laughs) Does he include the B&E and the property damage? That's that's where we get the story from. Roger says, quote, I'm not proud of the fact I ended my marriage with Dorothy Squires to be with Louisa. Dot and I had been through a lot together, and my actions around this time caused a lot of heartache and bad feeling. I didn't then realize it, but the long separations and the pursuit of our individual careers had obviously had an impact on me, on us both, perhaps. We had quite simply drifted apart without realizing it was happening. I never stopped caring about Dot. I don't think you can ever stop caring about someone who was such a large part of your life, no matter how your relationship may have ended. I don't think she ever stopped caring about me either, which is undoubtedly why she refused a divorce for so long. It was still the law then that the breakdown of the marriage wasn't grounds for a divorce, so Roger was stuck with Dot until Dot agreed to divorce him. But that doesn't stop Roger Moore from building a life with Louisa. The couple has their first child together in 1963. A daughter. Yikes. And then a son in 1966. Still not married? Still not married. And her Italian family didn't come over and murder him? I am not sure why not. Dot is not done in court. Okay, she files another lawsuit in 1968 when actor Kenneth Moore referred to Louisa as Mrs. Roger Moore at the BAFTAs. Not only does she sue the actor, but Dot also sues ITV for broadcasting it. So this Kenneth Moore cat goes into court and (laughs) in court he says, What was I supposed to call her? Roger Moore's mistress? (laughs) The case was dismissed, but this must have been the final blow to Dot because she finally relented and granted Roger Moore a divorce in 1969. He has been with Louisa eight years. They have two kids together. Fine. 
take your divorce, Roger. That's how charming she is. She smashes guitars over his head, but I don't want, I still want to be married to you. Sure. Despite their relationship ending the way it did, Roger Moore knew what Dot had done for him and his career. And whether it was out of appreciation or guilt or just because it was the right thing to do, when Dot was later diagnosed with cancer, Roger Moore paid for all of her medical bills. Dot had really fallen on some pretty hard financial times, and when Roger Moore hears that she's sick, he called her and made arrangements for her to be moved to a really nice facility and took care of all of her medical expenses. You are not kidding about him being a real stand-up guy. He is just like the most charming cad Mm -hmm. ever. He's a tramp. All right, let's get to our third marriage to Louisa Matoli. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Which is exactly how it begins. Finally free to marry. (laughs) The couple ties the knot on April the 11th, 1968 in London. Again, by this time, they have two kids together. In 1973, they have another child, another son. And 1973 was also a pretty big year for Roger Moore because that's the year that he first became James Bond in Live and Let Die. The decade of the 1970s was a pretty busy one for Roger. He will make four James Bond movies in between 1973 and 1979. What were those movies? Some of my favorites, Live and Let Die, The Man with the Golden Gun, The Spy Who Loved Me, and Moonraker. But it wasn't only James Bond films that Roger was busy making. He also stars in nine other feature films in the 1970s and did nearly 30 episodes of television. Busy guy. Louisa and the kids often travel with Roger and accompany him on the set The 1980s are just as busy for the Moore family as the 70s were. Roger stars in For Your Eyes Only in 1981, Octopussy in 1983, and A View to a Kill in 1985. But again, it wasn't just James Bond films he's making. Roger Moore's in several movies throughout the 1980s, including The Cannonball Run and The Curse of the Pink Panther. Everything's going pretty great professionally, Mm -hmm. but alas, things are not going so well between Roger and Louisa. As couples often do, they grow apart in the busy years of raising kids and working long hours. The couple also, no big surprise, has a tumultuous relationship by all accounts. Louisa, as aforementioned, was Italian and tended to be a little bit fiery. And Roger wouldn't engage with Louisa when she was like that. Conflict avoidant. Which makes Louisa more upset Mm -hmm. and leads to more frequent arguments. Roger had been unhappy in this marriage for some time, but it is in 1993 that a health scare makes him realize that he has to reevaluate his life. In 1993, Roger Moore was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And after a surgery to remove it, he realized he no longer wanted to be married to Louisa. He writes, I tumbled over and over into a well of self-pity and anger. It was the side of my body limping its way to the bathroom with a great plastic bag attached to the other end of the garden hose, 
that gave me the despair of inadequacy. I felt emasculated. I know I must have been completely impossible to live with. The more I complained as I wallowed in self-pity, the more Louisa started snapping back. When feeling fine, I was quite capable of handling outbursts of Italian temperament. I had been for a number of years. However, these new and unwanted circumstances left me unable to cope. I had plenty of time to think about my life and how close I had been to losing it. It was not very admirable behavior, I admit, but the seeds for life change had been planted and were beginning to grow. After Roger Moore recovered, he described coming home one day to quote-unquote another row and said he took the coward's way out and left instead of dealing with yet another confrontation. Roger Moore separates from Louisa in 1993, but in keeping with his previous patterns, Roger Moore had already fallen in love with a new woman. This time, his love interest was a Swedish socialite named Christina Thalstrup. She goes by Kiki. Interestingly, Kiki had been a friend of the Moore family and especially a good friend of Louisa's for many, many years. Oops. Louisa, though, wasn't going to give in without a fight. Oh, my God. Just divorce me, wife, and no wife will divorce. This is how amazing Roger Moore is. Like, please just divorce me. No, I shan't. All right. So now, okay, poor Louisa. She waits for almost a decade to get her man. Mad Italian family. Mm -hmm. They're together for almost 25 years. Three kids, happy marriage, ups, downs, all that jazz. Mm Mm-hmm. Louisa has lived through the dot years, but now that the tables are turned, Louisa refuses to give Roger a divorce and holds on for, you want to guess how many years? Seven. Whoa. Just like dot did before divorcing Roger Moore in the year 2000. Wow. They separate in 93, divorce in 2000, holds on for seven years. Louisa reportedly receives 10 million pounds in that divorce settlement. But again, women, I don't want you. I do want you. I don't want you. I I must have you. All right. Fourth marriage is to Kiki, Christina Thalstrup. After three failed marriages, Roger Moore did finally find lasting love with Kiki. The breakup from Louisa does cause Roger to have a little bit of a strained relationship with his children for a, uh, for a while. Louisa, <laughs> to make things probably worse, writes a tell-all book about her life with Roger Moore and how he left her for one of her best friends. <laughs> Is it called Roger and Me? <laughs> <laughs> Louisa accuses her BFF Kiki of wanting to be her and then proceeding to steal her husband. Now, although Roger Moore and the kids, his kids with Louisa, had mended their relationship by the time Roger married Kiki in 2002, his children choose not to attend that wedding. They didn't want to hurt their mom's feelings. But the kids were happy for him and went on to have a close relationship with Kiki as well. Once married, Roger Moore will gush about Kiki and call her his soulmate. 
And after so much turbulence in his personal life, Kiki brings Roger Moore stability and harmony. Moore says of his fourth wife, I knew that this wonderful woman could make me live again and would bring the happiest years of my life. It's a tranquil relationship and there are no arguments. I lead a life of bliss. Finally, a relationship free of violence. That's good. Fourth time's the charm. In 2012, Roger Moore tells The Guardian, I've been married four times and caused a great deal of hurt and upset around me. I'm a selfish bastard, but I'm just very, very happy that Christina and I found one another. It also doesn't sound like he's been single for more than about five minutes of his adult life. When he was 11? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I think that gets Roger Moore through the divorces, but I would be doing a disservice if I did not cover the amazing, extra wonderful bits about Roger Moore. He becomes a UNICEF ambassador in 1991. How does this happen? His friend, Audrey Hepburn, introduces Roger Moore to what UNICEF does. And he becomes passionate about this organization. Roger Moore works tirelessly for UNICEF and was even knighted by Queen Elizabeth II for his humanitarian work, not for his acting, for what he did for UNICEF. When he received his knighthood, he told the Guardian, the knighthood for my humanitarian work meant more than if it had been for my acting. I'm sure some people would say, what does an actor know about world issues? But working for UNICEF, I've become an expert on things from the causes of dwarfism to the benefits of breastfeeding. I feel very privileged. He is really proud of this work and believed it far surpassed any acting work he'd ever done, saying, I might be best known for playing James Bond, but my role as Goodwill Ambassador for UNICEF is the one I'm most passionate about. Roger Moore was also involved in other charities, too. He was a longtime PETA supporter, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, They, of course, fight for animals to stop being used in circuses, to stop sport hunting, to ban marine parks. PETA named Roger Moore its 2017 Person of the Year and called him the Man with the Golden Heart. That's very nice. This is the part that I'm probably going to get a little teary. I'm going to do the best I can here. On May the 23rd, 2017, Roger Moore died after a short but brave battle with cancer. He was 89 years old. After the family made the announcement of his passing, the outpouring of love for him and sorrow over his death was truly inspiring. Pierce Brosnan called Roger Moore the greatest bond of his time in a statement to people continuing He embraced the role with an easy charm and grace that let us all in on the game. He saved the world seven times and then went on to become an even greater man working to save the children with UNICEF. He never forgot the audience and we shall never forget him. I am proud to have followed in your footsteps, Sir Roger. My heartfelt condolences to your family, friends, and children. Daniel Craig, another Mm. former Bond, posted a photo of himself and Roger Moore in formal wear 
writing on Twitter, nobody does it better. This is in reference to the theme song from The Spy Who Loved Me, performed by Trashy Divorces alum, Carly Simon. It's also my parents' love song. (laughs) Jane Seymour, who starred in Live and Let Die, posted on Instagram, I am devastated to learn of Roger Moore's passing. The first leading role I ever had as a Bond girl was such a new and frightening world, and Roger held my hand and guided me through every process. He taught me about work ethic and humility. He was so funny, kind, and thoughtful to everyone around him. And in that, Roger taught me what a movie star really was and should be. Through his lifelong work with UNICEF, he showed me the true meaning of being a humanitarian and giving back. He was my bond. Britt Eklund, who co-starred in The Man with the Golden Gun, tweeted, My bond is gone. I am filled with great sadness. Roger was the epitome of bond. Witty, sophisticated, elegant, funny. Sean Connery tweeted a long message and called Roger Moore a great man and debonair citizen of the world. UNICEF issued a statement of condolence that started with, The world has lost one of its greatest champions for children. And even Boy George got in on the action by tweeting, R.I.P. Roger Moore, he was the king of cool. Friends and family said goodbye to Roger Moore at a private service in St. Paul's Church in Monte Carlo. One of his lifelong and dearest friends, Dame Joan Collins, (laughs) previous Trashy Divorces alum, was at his funeral. She posted a picture of herself posing next to a photo of Roger Moore with the caption, One last drink. Goodbye, dear, at Sir Roger Moore, a beautiful and loving service for one of the great saints, knights, and gents of our time. Sir Roger Moore is buried in the Monaco Cemetery, and his gravestone has the inscription, Loving Father and Husband, Our True Saint. Well, Alicia... Let me wipe my eyes. Uh, thank you for that. Isn't that story amazing? I'm He's such a tramp and I love him. I'm so happy that he finally found happiness. Breaks a new heart every day. No more smashed guitars. No more smashed guitars. I don't even know how trash cans would roll in that one. He seems like the gentlest conflict avoidant man ever, but again... A little messy, maybe in the relationship you're with, but he can't help it. He had two wives who held on each a piece for seven years. I don't know how many trash cans. Blofeld has them all. Sure. Blofeld, Moonraker, I'm not exactly Mm -hmm. sure. They're in some super secret spy laboratory somewhere beyond in the heavens. Roger Moore and his trashy divorces and his... Just incredible story. Mm -hmm. Patreon folks, stick around. I have a few more delightful Roger Moore stories that are going to come at the end of this episode. That's our $2 level. For our $10 folks on Patreon, stick around. I got a whole bunch more spider webs like David Niven, Lana Turner, 
Tony Curtis. Like this guy and his spider webs are incredible. That's going to be out for y'all on Thursday over on Patreon. And to get in on those spiderwebs and bonuses. And early and ad-free, too. Early and ad-free. Mm-hmm. You can check us out at patreon.com slash trashy divorces and join the greatest community on the internet. Entirely true. Don't forget, friends, we've got two other podcasts. If you're looking to fill in some summertime listening, these are their own feeds. Totally free. We got Trashy Royals. 18 episodes Mm -hmm. now and done and done as well. And I think that's going to wind us down for trashy divorces. Y'all, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you for recommending us to your friends, for your kind reviews, for your ratings, your super nice emails. Thanks everybody for making my birthday this week. So amazing. We'll talk more about that on this weekend's episode. Until we meet again, friends, we hope that you will keep your hands clean and your heart's trashy. Mm-hmm. Find a little love in that trashy heart of yours for Roger Moore. Yeah. God, I just swoon. He is my bond. <laughs> Big love, everybody. Big cheers. Have a great rest of the week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.